here I am, this big, strong guy. Nothing's bothered me. Nothing's, I've always been healthy. I've always been strong, athletic, and nothing's ever bothered me. And here is something I cannot fix. I started having some chest issues. I started having some issues with some, some pain in my, in my chest, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I went to see a cardiologist, and as I'm doing the stress test, he looks at it and goes, it looks like you have a left bundle branch block. So here I am, nothing's ever happened to me in my life, and nothing's ever been wrong with me. I could fix everything. Well, here's something I couldn't fix. The vision of not being here for my wife or being here for my kids was kind of overwhelming for me. So I started thinking more about it, you know, hour after hour, day after day, month after month, and it just got worse and worse and worse. So one day at work, I was in the cafeteria when I got to work and I was feeling funny, feeling very faint and just very, just not myself. So I called Lindsay and I said, hey, I'm not feeling good, I'll meet you at the hospital. As I'm driving down the toll road, I start getting these chest pressures and I'm just thinking like, okay, here it is, here it is, here it is. And I just pull over the side of the road and I just lay there in the passenger seat. Thought I was having a heart attack. Um, turns out it was an anxiety attack. I go home and thought it was better because everything was clear. Well, it wasn't because I started worrying more about it and I started trying to fix it again. And I started just, the cycle just started over and over and over again. I mean, it was rough. I mean, we didn't, we didn't leave. Um, we prayed a lot. I went through the Bible a lot. Um, at the time, he didn't want to hear it. He kind of wanted to do his own thing. He said, no, no. And I kept telling him, um, pray instead of worry. When you start to worry, just pray. And that was really, really difficult for him to understand and to grasp. And so I just prayed. I cried, I prayed, I cried, I prayed. Um, we just tried to get through it. I mean, but like you said, he was callous. He didn't talk to us. He didn't want to be around us. He just did what he, wa he wanted to do, said what he wanted to say. I mean, he could be mean. He could say nasty things. It was hard for me to understand that because that's not his character at all. I didn't ask for help at first because I thought it was weak. Um, I'm supposed to be the strong guy, the man, the father that's supposed to fix everything, and, and I couldn't fix it. Those of you who've been coming the last few weeks, you know we're in a series called The Struggle is Real. We've been talking about some of the struggles that we have in this world. And today we're gonna be talking about worry. Now I know that probably nobody here struggles with worry, uh, but you probably know somebody who does, so you might wanna take notes for them, okay? Um, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to our passage, which is in Philippians, the fourth chapter. If you don't, that same scripture is listed on the back of your handout today for your convenience. It's Paul who's writing these words, and he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Don't miss verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding or comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of a good repute, if there is anything excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. In verse 6, he says, be anxious for nothing. And if you're not real careful, if you're just flying through this particular passage in the Bible, you think that Paul is just giving you a pep talk, that he's saying, don't worry, be happy, all right? But he does more than that because if you look deeper into this passage, you see that he actually tells us how we can overcome worry. And it's really pretty simple. If you get this next line that I'm about to give you, you really have got the whole message. We're to obey God and we're to pray to God. Apologies that they rhyme, but they do. Obey and pray. And so I want us to look at both of those things and see that it, when we obey God and when we pray to God, we can't overcome our worry. First of all, he says, obey God. Here's the reality. Most of the things that we worry about, we worry about because we've stepped outside of God's will for our life and we've created consequences, or at least impending consequences. We, we know that they're coming, and as a result, we worry about that. And we could really resolve about 80% of the issues we worried about if we will just take the power that God has given us to obey him and do that very thing. Just obey him. It's that simple. Uh, I remember when I was uh, moving around uh, as a child, my dad worked for Mobile Oil Corporation, and so we lived in, in many different places. We were in South Dakota. We were in Florida. Uh, we were in Louisiana. At one particular time, when I was a young boy, we lived in Mississippi. And I remember we lived in this little, best way to call it, is a servant's quarters behind a larger house. And these people who lived in the larger house had rented this little house to my mom and my dad and uh, us three boys. And uh, in, in the little yard that was there next to that, there was no grass. There was just a strip of dirt. But in the dirt, there was this hole in the ground. It was about five feet long and about three feet wide. Just to, I don't know why it was there, but there was just this hole in the ground. It was about three feet deep, but it was the coolest place to play if you were a boy. Uh, that hole in the ground was the cockpit of a, a plane. It was the, a race car, uh, drivers and passenger side. It was a foxhole in World War II. We had more fun in that hole in the ground. I remember one day it had rained. <clears throat> Boy, it really got fun then because there were about two inches of mud in the bottom of that thing. And we, and we went out and we got some of my mother's pie tins and we made mud pies and we were drying them out in the sun around the edge of that hole. And just over the fence, it wasn't dirt, there was St. Augustine grass. And there were big, beautiful magnolia trees. And there was the big home where the people who rented us, the little servant's quarter, lived. And in that yard, there was a little girl who used to come out and play every day. Now, she never spoke to us, but we could see her playing on the other side of the picket fence. She was a beautiful little girl. She had Grecian curls and lots of ribbons in her hair. Uh, she was always dressed up. She didn't play in play clothes. She had petticoats and frilly things and everything. The kid was not normal. You know what I'm saying? 
That particular day, she saw that we were making those mud pies, and she got so curious that she came and she leaned over the fence and she said, what are you boys doing? And so I picked up one of the mud pies and I walked over the fence and I said, we're making mud pies, would you like to have a bite? And I smashed it into her face. <laughs> now this was before my call to ministry. <clears throat> but at that point, that little girl covered completely in the mud, turned and began to run back toward that large house. And it was at that moment that I began to worry. <clears throat> now I share that story because it's a metaphor of your life and mine, is it not? And when we step outside of God's will for our life, we create the difficulties that create the anxieties in our life. And so Paul says to us, obey God, just obey God. And, and what he does, he goes further in that he actually gives us three categories so we can kind of get a sense of what he's talking about. First of all, he says, obey God by having right relationships. Look there in verse five. He says, let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Uh, this past week, I actually had the privilege of uh, spending some time with Henry Cloud. Some of you know him as the author of the series called Boundaries. And uh, he shared with me that there's a book that's coming out in May. In fact, I even got a, an advanced copy, uh, a galley that they're still proofreading. And, and the title of the book is called The Power of the Other. And in this book, he talks about <clears throat> how important our relationships are, how important the human connections of our life are. In one part of this uh, galley, he says, research has shown over and over that people trying to reach goals succeed at a much greater rate if they're connected to a strong, strong human support system. Research also shows that elderly who have suffered a heart attack or strokes fare much better with lower incidence of recurrence when they join a support group. Other research shows that people who tap into the power of others have stronger immune systems, tend to get sick less frequently, and recover faster when they do. Uh, his whole book, and I was able to read through about half of it on my way back this week, talks about the power of relationships. And here's the reality. Jesus said there's nothing more important in our lives than our relationships. The relationships have for us the greatest potential for joy, but because they're so important, they also have the greatest potential for worry and to rob us of our joy. And so Paul says, be careful to tend to your relationships. And he says it in this way. He says, let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. That word there in the Greek, gentle, literally means to go beyond justice. Stay with me here. Let the spirit of going beyond justice, going beyond what is fair, literally going beyond halfway, be true in all of your relationships. What is he saying here? He's saying that we have a tendency in relationships to only do what we consider our part. Have you ever heard this phrase? I'll meet you halfway. Here's the problem with meeting someone halfway in a relationship. They're halfway and you're halfway never total a whole way. Everybody wants to limit their part in it. And Paul says here, let your spirit of going beyond halfway be made known to all men. In other words, in every single relationship that you have, do more than your fair share. I'm so glad today to state that Jesus didn't meet me halfway. He came all the way from heaven to earth 
And he didn't pay for half of my sins. He paid for all of my sins. The relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ is an example of what it means to go beyond justice. I'm glad we didn't get justice when it came to Jesus Christ, aren't you? That's true love is to go beyond halfway. And he says, in all of your relationships, go beyond halfway. I think it's interesting here that it says, let your gentle spirit, the spirit of going beyond halfway, be made known to all men. That would include our enemies. In other words, he's saying here to live in such a way that even your enemy would have to admit that you've done more than your fair share in the relationship. Wow, that's something else. In Romans the 12th chapter in verse 18, it says this, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. All men, there's that phrase again. Now there are some people that you'll never be at peace with because they won't cooperate. They won't respond to your invitation. They won't be inspired by your ability to go beyond halfway. But it says as far as it is possible with you, live at peace with all men. We'll always have enemies. We'll always have irregular people in our life. But I think we can live with those relationships. I think we could put our head on the pillow at night and sleep well as long as we've done everything we could do to make reconciliation possible. He says there, he says, let your gentle spirit, the spirit of going beyond halfway, be made known to all men. And then he gives us the motivation to do that. He says, the Lord is near. What does he mean by that? I think he means two things. He says the Lord is near in time and space. He's near in time, first of all, in that today, the coming of Jesus Christ, the return of Jesus Christ is closer than it's ever been in the history of mankind. He said, let your generous spirit be made known to all men because the Lord's gonna come and make things right. You don't need to play God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. One of these days, the Lord's gonna come and make everything right. He's gonna put everything in its right order. And so you just do your business right now, and that's to represent the love of God. Go beyond halfway. The Lord is near. When he comes, he'll take care of that. But it also means the Lord is near in space. You ever notice how you talk to your family members nicer when other people are listening than maybe perhaps when you're at home and nobody's listening? You ever notice that when you're driving down the road and there's a policeman on the road, you drive better and you keep the speed limit better than if he's not there? When Paul says here, the Lord is there, he's saying, guys, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus is always there when you're talking to your family. Jesus is always there when you're driving. Jesus is always there when you're filling out your end of the year taxes. Live with a reality of the presence of the Lord. Let your spirit of generosity, your spirit of going beyond halfway be made known to all men because God's gonna make it right one day when Jesus returns and Jesus is with you right now and he's viewing what you're doing. Do it in the light of the Lord is near. First of all, he talks about obey God in right relationships and then he gives a broader category. He says obey God in right living. Look in verse nine. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Don't miss this. Practice these things. And what will happen? The God of peace will be with you. Here's one problem with attending church is that we talk a lot about what God wants us to do. And sometimes 
we get vaccinated from actually doing it. It's so easy to play the game where we talk a good talk, but we don't walk a good walk. And the reality is, no matter what we say in this room, no matter what we say in our Bible studies, no matter what we pronounce, if we're not living those things, we're going to create some worry in our life. To actually live like we say we ought to live, to let there be a better alignment between our theology, our belief, and our behavior. And then he gives an interesting last category. He, he says that you're to obey God with your right thinking. Look, if you will, back to verse 8. It says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, whatever is a good repute, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. <clears throat> now, what does our thought process have to do with all of this? Reality is that there are some of you that are listening today and you have flabby minds. What I mean by flabby minds is you've never exercised the right that you have as a Christian to say no to certain thoughts. You daydream about things you shouldn't daydream about. You watch movies that you shouldn't watch. You listen to conversations that you shouldn't listen to. You fantasize about what it would be like to disobey God. You'd never say, you know what, that probably wouldn't be a good thing to think about because where those thoughts might lead. Somebody hurts you or says something to offend you and you play it over and over and over again in your mind so you can play the victim and you can rationalize why you're about to hurt them. You've never exercised your mental muscles to say, no, perhaps as a believer I shouldn't think about that. Now follow me. So then when worrisome thoughts come into your mind, you don't have the muscle to keep them out. You become obsessive and compulsive about an impending possible danger or consequence, and you can't turn it off. You lay at bed at night, you cannot turn it off because you don't exercise your mental muscles in any other area of thought. And what he's saying here is begin a habit where the only thoughts that you think about are thoughts that are honorable, thoughts that are true, thoughts that are right and pure, excellent thoughts. And then when worry comes, when Satan sends unreasonable worry in your life, because you are so trained at what you allow to come into your brain, you say, no, I'm not going to go there. And you're able to exercise your mental muscles. Paul tells us that the secret of overcoming worry is first of all to obey God, to obey God in our relationships, most of all, to obey God in our practices of life and even obey God in our thinking. But here's the reality. Even if we could be perfect in all those areas, and we're not, we're in process, aren't we? There's still things that happen in our life that cause us worry, things that we can't control, the sin of others that splash over into our life. What do we do about those things? We can prevent some of the things that we've been worrying about, but we can't prevent all the things that we have a tendency to worry about. And in answer to that, Paul says, pray about those things. Obey God in the arenas that you can actually have some control over with the power God has given you, but in the areas that you can't control, pray about those things. Look, if you will, back in verse six. It's the heart of this passage. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. And then he uses three words for prayer. He says, by prayer, 
And then he says, and supplication, a second word for prayer, and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so he uses three words here. In fact, what he's doing is he's giving us a prescription for worry. It's a prescription pill. Actually, he's gonna ask us to take three pills. He's gonna say, first of all, take the praise pill. Because that first word for prayer there literally means to praise God. Now, why would we praise God when we begin to worry? Well, when we begin to praise God, what we're doing is we're talking about how great God is. We're talking about how he created things. God, you are the creator. You are mighty. You are able. As we begin to praise God, you know what happens? Our God gets bigger. Now, God was already big before we praised him. But we begin to see how big he is when we remind ourselves in the process of praising him how great he is. Now, let me ask you something. This is not a quick uh, trick question. If our God is getting bigger, what is our problem doing? That's exactly right. In, in comparison, our problem, we can, we can see God can handle this. He's handled things bigger than this before. And that's why when you begin to worry about something, the very first thing we need to do is we need to take the praise pill. And then there's a second word there, and the word is supplication. Supplication is a fancy word for ask. And the second pill that we want to take is we want to take the prayer pill of asking. We want to invite God to take care of the problem. We want to invite him in. We want to ask him to help us. Now, I want to warn you here. In fact, I want to just put an asterisk on this one. Because full disclosure, if you ask God to take care of a problem, he may take you from pray back to obey. You might say, God, I'm having all these financial problems. I really need your help. And he says, great, I want to give you some help. I'm going to give you some advice. Stop spending so much money. Hey, God, I've got this enemy, and, and he's doing all these things to me and everything, God, and I need for you to, to, to help me with this guy. And said, great, what you need to do is you apologize to him for what you did to him. But God, he's done all that. I know he has. That's his part. You do your part. Be careful with asking God into your problem that you're worried about, because he may take you from pray back to obey. I'm just warning you. And then there's a the last word, and the word there. Uh, in English is thanksgiving. The Greek word means thanksgiving. You say, well, how, how in the, why would we thank God while we're worrying? Well, the reason is when we begin to worry about something, here's our tendency. Our tendency is to focus in only in that part of our life that we're having trouble with. We have a tendency to get tunnel vision. You've got a health problem, and that's all you think about is your health problem. You've got a financial problem, that's all you think about your financial problem. And here's what God says. God says, if it's big enough for you to worry about, it's big enough for you to praise me, and the problem gets smaller, to ask me to be involved in it, but, but don't you dare get up from your prayer before you tell me everything else that's going right in your life. Now, why does he ask us to do that? Because he wants us to get a healthy, fuller perspective on life. You may be having a health problem right now, but you've got some of the best friends that God could ever give someone. You've got a significant, meaningful place to serve God, to make a difference in eternity. Uh, you've got all these other things that are going on that are going on right, and you need to, need to have a better view of your reality. Because here's the truth. If I were to take 
all the things and write them down that are going on in my life, things that are pluses, maybe my finances or my friends or whatever, and then maybe my health is uh, in a deficit. Maybe I'm having trouble with my health. Maybe I've got a, a problem with something else. And then I've got some other positive things. When those of us who are believers make a list like this about our life, we want to be sure to factor in the most important part of our life, and that is the Lord being in our life. And guys, I don't care what else is on your list. If the Lord is in your life, when you add it up and you subtract out the negatives, guess what? You're always going to come out with a plus. Do you realize that? What does he say there? How does he begin this passage? He says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. That's where we find our joy, friends, is in the Lord. And this relationship, this relationship outshines every other negative thing in our life. The fact that we have been forgiven of all of our sins and we don't have to drag our past behind us anymore. The fact that even in the problem areas, God has promised to come in and redeem and bring more good out of evil in any area of our life. The fact that God is this very day preparing a place for those of us who call ourselves his children and one day we will go to a place where there will be no reds. It'll all be positive and in the black. Don't get up from praying about what you're worrying about without rehearsing all of God's blessings. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And if we'll do those two simple things, if we will obey God, and in those areas that we can't control, if we will pray to God, then verse seven will become reality. Verse seven says, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts, how you feel, and your minds, what you think about, in Christ Jesus. I had a choice to make. Either I go to church and I face my issues and I get closer to God and I take what comes with that or I turn around and run the other way. After looking back at all that, I think God put me in a church because he knew what was gonna happen to me in the months to come, and he knew I would need to rely on him. And, and what helps me is I love to listen to Christian music. Um, it's not something I used to listen to before. I listen to it every once in a while. My wife would listen to it a lot, and I'd change it to a country station or something. Um, but it really relaxes me, and it really reminds me, because a lot of the songs have struggle, and they have fear, and they have anxious moments, and they have everything that's real in life, they have them in the songs. You know, I started reading the Bible once we started really going to church, and I, I just couldn't believe how many times it says fear, worry, anxious, all these things in the Bible, because it is real. You know, the struggle is real because it's in there so many times, and people deal with it so many ways. In a way, I'm not happy that this happened to me because it's been difficult for my family and my kids. But I am glad it happened to me because it's brought me close to what matters. And that's putting God first and family second.
So it's, it's been a struggle and it's still an everyday struggle, but I know how to deal with it now. God has put me in a place to where I'm go I went through what I went through because he wants me to use my story and he wants me to help other people go through it. He has a plan for me and I'm put here for a purpose. And I'm looking at it from that point of view and I'm trusting him with everything I have and letting go of my will to give to him and he can, he can set the path for my life and, and move me in the direction he wants to move me. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how practical it is that it meets us where we live every day. And we thank you, dear Father, that we don't have to be uh, prisoners to anxiety and worry, but that we can actually be victorious. Thank you, dear Father, for even the worry in our life that it points out those areas where we're not following you, we're not obeying you, we're not following your warnings and your protection. And thank you, dear Father, that even when it's not about us and disobedience in our life, that we know that you're faithful to meet us where we are and to redeem everything, and that as we praise you and as we invite you once again into every area of our life, uh, we're careful to note all the good things that you already have given us, that we can have a peace that passes all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.